And please turn, if you would, in your copy of God's Holy Word to the Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, chapter 3, as we continue our exposition of the song for our preparatory service for the Lord's Supper. Song of Songs, boys and girls, it comes after Ecclesiastes in your Bible, if you need help finding it. And please give your attention now once again to the reading of God's Holy Word, Song of Songs, chapter 3, and we will read the first five verses. These are God's words. By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets, and in the broadways I will seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. The watchmen that go about the city found me, to whom I said, Saw ye him whom my soul loveth. It was but a little that I passed from them, but I found him whom my soul loveth. I held him and would not let him go, until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love till he please. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Let us pray for the preaching. O Lord, our God, as your servant comes to preach the word, help your servant by the spirit of Christ preach up Christ, that the people of God here would find all their consolation in him. Would you equip and enable your minister to preach by the spirit's power? that they would seek after Christ this week, and that seeking after him, they would find him uh, in the secret place, but even at the table of the Lord next Lord's Day. And so, Father, fill this place with your Spirit, that we would have a tangible sense in our heart of the love of God in Jesus Christ, that we would say as we leave this place, the voice of my beloved, he has spoken to me by the word of God preached, that we would uh, grab him and we would hold him and never let him go. Oh, Lord, we pray only you can do these things. And so as your minister preaches, we pray you would give thy servant the tongue of the learned, that by Christ's spirit I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. And we ask this all now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we prepare for communion, we continue our exposition of the song of songs, the Song of Solomon. And what we come to hear this night is that your soul and mine too can only find true consolation in Jesus Christ. And that we, if we have been finding consolation in any other place, whether it be in the world or in a person or our sin, God forbid, that we would put all of that away this week, that we would find our soul consolation the sole consolation for our soul, if I could put it that way, in Christ alone. And uh, brethren, if there has been a distance between you and Jesus Christ, I hope that this text would arouse your soul, if this is you, that you would perceive, as the bride does in our text, that Christ is not so close to you right now, and that all is actually night, even though you have played the charade that all is day. And that you would see that without Christ, 
there is no consolation for your soul and that this would be a time of spiritual arousing for your soul, a time of spiritual revival. And the fourth reason I might uh, have you consider this text is because some of you are going to be discouraged from the Lord's Supper as well because you have sensed that there is a distance between you and the Lord, a distance that has come between you and you are distressed, right? Because you are spiritually minded, you are spiritually sensitive, and the Lord's presence doesn't seem as near as it once was. The times of sweet fellowship in the Word of God and in prayer just aren't there like they once were. And what you are to hear is that such distress, which is proper, is never to turn to despair in this time, but is instead meant to be sort of a fire in your soul, sending you more and more earnestly to seek after Jesus Christ with a full assurance that those who seek Him, He will be found. And one of the ways that you are to seek Him is not just in your private devotions this week, but also if even if you don't have consolation, if you have resolved to walk by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are to come to the table in the hopes that He will be found of you there. In all these ways, this text ministers to our soul as we prepare for the Lord's Supper to remember that uh, though weeping endures for a night, joy will come in the morning. And this is the kind of faith-filled perseverance and pursuit of Christ that the bride of Christ has in this text and we must have as we seek after him this week as we come to the table. And so with that introduction for us to lay those things before us, our theme is seeking after Christ in times of spiritual desertion. Seeking after Christ in times of spiritual desertion. And we'll consider that with the three heads on your bulletin. First is deserted, second is seeking, third is holding. Uh, so our first head, our first point, which is deserted, and this is where we will actually spend most of our time in the, uh, uh, tonight because we have to be careful here. Um, though, as even though this is the seventh sermon in the Song of Songs for Communion, uh, it is three months between each preaching on it. And uh, I do trust that most in the congregation here now know how to treat the book um, as a text that treats the most glorious theme of all, which is the love of of Christ for his church. And in the very first verse of the book, the Song of Songs is what it is called, which is Solomon's. And so as it is called the Song of Songs, you remember that is a Hebrew superlative, meaning it is the greatest of all songs. It is the greatest of all songs. And as its theme is, uh, as it is the greatest of all songs, its theme is the love of loves, right? The greatest love of all. And boys and girls, do you remember what that is? It's the love not of Solomon for his wife. That's not the greatest love of all. It points to the one who is here now, who is greater than Solomon and his bride, which is the church. It points us to Christ and the love Christ has for the church. This is the greatest love that can ever be known in Ephesians 5, which unfolds the mystery of marriage. And in the eschaton, you know that the church will be wed to Christ forever as a bride adorned for her husband in Revelation 21. And so with those brief remarks to remind you, this song of songs then points us to our bridegroom and the mutual love of the church and Jesus Christ for each other. And whenever you hear the refrain, my beloved is mine and I am his, right? That is meant to be a remembrance in your soul of the love that you are to have for Christ and the love that he has for his church. And remember that these are the words that will resound eternally from the church to Jesus Christ. And so, just as another reminder, this is a book then to be cherished by every Christian, right? 
be they unmarried or married. Uh, and if you're new to to this idea, and this has been the, the historic way of treating the book, and it, it's the only way to make full sense of the book. There are areas here that you can use for marriage, sure. But this is the full sense of the book is found truly in Christ's love for his church. And if you're new to, uh, uh, to us in our assembly here, you can go to earlier sermons on the Song of Solomon, which uh, unfold this idea. But now, with that said, we come into our text proper into the third chapter. And we find the church, the bride, awakened out of her slumber. In verse 1, By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. Now the first thing I think that we want to pay attention to is the time of day, right? It's nighttime when the bride awakes. It's not yet light. It's not yet dawn. Uh, All is dark, right? She arouses from her slumber and she uh, is jolted and sees that all is dark. And, and there is a sense that there is an awakening in her soul in this, right? That her soul now perceives that all is not light, and instead but night and dark. And as we take the spiritual sense here, what is it that makes it dark? Is it the time of day for the Christian that makes it dark? No, it is the withdrawal of the Son of Righteousness. It is the withdrawal of the light of the world who is Jesus Christ, right? That is true darkness. That's why, right, the place without Christ's blessed presence, as we thought this morning, is called what? Outer darkness. It is the place without the radiant, blessed light of the Lamb of God, right? And that is true night for the soul that loves Jesus, right? That's when you awake. You can awake in the middle of the day and say all is dark because Christ is not there. You have no sense of his presence, Right? For the spiritual Christian, what makes the midnight bright as day is Christ's presence. Right? There are times you will wake up uh, spiritually alive to Christ and all is like day in the pitch black. And at other times you will be in the noonday and all is as dark as darkest night because Christ is not nearby. And that's what truly makes uh, nighttime. Nighttime to the church, it's Christ's absence. Right? And that's what you see here for the bride. I sought him, but I found him not. It's his presence, really, that testifies that it's the night or lack thereof. Right? All is dark, all is night. But, and what I want to put before you here, child of God, is even the Christian who resolves to walk very close to the Lord will feel at times a sense of spiritual desertion from the Lord Jesus Christ. And this text especially has been used to illustrate this doctrine, where you sense, right, even though you have resolved to walk close to the Lord, that the Lord Jesus Christ seems far away and his comfortable presence is no longer with you, right? Um, You can think of Job, right, who we have considered of late, and so maybe that is a help to you. You know, the man felt like the Lord had abandoned him, didn't he? Even though he had walked very righteously with the Lord, he had sought to walk closely to Christ. And though the Lord had not really abandoned him, he had lost a sense of the Lord's comfort. He had lost a sense of the Lord's consolation that he had once known. And instead, what does he say? The terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. In Job 6, verse 4, right? Here is a man in a state of grace who feels not comfort from God, but even terror. Right? And this happens even, the Bible shows us, to the righteous in this world. And so what I want to do tonight is to spend some time on this doctrine so as to help you prepare for the supper. Right? And even if you don't sense 
sense the consolation of the Lord, you have to understand what to do with that. That even if you don't presently sense the comfort that the Lord uh, ordinarily has given you, you would not despair of coming to the table, but instead you would seek Christ all the more, not curling into a ball, uh, the spiritual fetal position, so to speak, but instead to pursue Christ all the more in the midst of such times. Because some Christians, and uh, I, this, is, this is natural, right? Uh, when they sense uh, spiritual desertion, where they sense the Lord is gone away or far away, right? They, they greatly despair. Um, they've known comfort from the Lord maybe so greatly, and they don't know what this is about, right? And, and maybe they even ask, and this is the devil's temptation at time, am I a castaway, right? Has the Lord, is he done with me? Right, as was I a plaything for the Lord? Why is it I have no consolation from uh, in my soul from the Lord? Why do I feel like He's no longer with me? Did He not promise me this promise? I will never leave you nor forsake you. And beloved, you need to know: Yes, the Lord has promised believers He will never leave them nor forsake them. Uh, but what He what He means by that is that He will never leave them utterly destitute of Himself, even if for a time. Right, You don't have his consoling presence. He may well withdraw from you, as you see in this text. Even though he has a true love for his bride, he withdraws from her for a time. He withdraws his consolation from a time. And every Christian with any length of experience has likely felt this. The greatest of us, the least of us have. And what we must remember, brethren, is that if we are converted and in a state of grace, this is a temporary thing. And we do have to think, the Lord will come once again to me. The Lord will arise and manifest himself, and I will experience his consolation again. And we'll see more on that as, uh, as I continue on. But as I am speaking of the doctrine of spiritual desertion, let me give you a definition from a better man. Uh, from the 17th century Dutch theologian Gisbertus Voidius. You may know him. His definition of spiritual desertion is this, an inner cross or spiritual sorrow and trial as a result of which a person, and here's the key, now being truly converted to God, fails to feel his or her heart's delight in God and divine things. Right? His definition reminds us that desertion happens to even those who are truly converted. Right. Uh, it's an inner cross or spiritual sorrow and trial as a result of which a person now being truly converted to God fails to feel. So here's a sense. We don't have a sense uh, of his or her heart's delight in God and divine things. And to the spiritually minded person, this is a cross. This is a, a burden. This is a grief that they do not feel their heart anymore for a time. Delight in God and the things of God. And that's a sorrowful pain to the true Christian. And it is actually, for your comfort, this sorrow itself that demonstrates you are not a castaway, isn't it? Right? But you are in a state of grace because, well, let's be frank, right? Those who are unbelievers, they don't mourn the fact that Jesus has gone away. But those who love Jesus, as the bride does here, who says, I sought him whom my soul loveth, right? And the reason they feel grief is they love Jesus, and they miss him. And they miss his presence next to them on the spiritual bed. The, the believer weeps at Christ's absence as Mary Magdalene did at the graveside, right? They have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. 
Right? That's the wounding in the heart of the Christian who doesn't feel the presence of the Lord so close anymore. And if you have such grief, brethren, that testifies you are a believer. Again, the unbeliever has, is insensible, right? Uh, you can preach on the love of Christ and they are yawning and they are falling asleep, right? They just don't care, right? But if any of you say that Jesus is he whom my soul loveth, how does that not preach to you that you are in a state of grace? Why does any man or woman say that he is the one that my soul loves? Because he has first loved us, right? First John 4.19. And so if you love Christ and you mourn his distance, the very fact that you love him and you mourn his distance shows that you are in a state of grace and that he actually does care and he does love, love you. But as communion and nearness to the Lord is going to be very important for us next Lord's Day, let me give you four reasons tonight for why Christians can sense Christ's absence. And uh, first is sin. Second is testing. Third is an external trial. And fourth is simply a sense of disconsolation. So first is sin. Second is testing. Third, an external trial. And fourth is disconsolation. And what you will find is that the remedy to each of those is the very same thing, though it takes different forms. And it is to seek the one that your soul loves. Even as the bride did, I sought him whom my soul loveth. That in every case, whatever the reason it is that you sense Christ's absence, you are to arouse your soul out of its slumber and follow and chase after Christ, saying, I will arise now and go to him whom my soul loveth. So of these four reasons, let us begin with sin. The first reason, Isaiah 59 verse 2, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you. And this is where you have to begin if you seek consolation for your soul. For instance, in our text, there is a sense the bride had drifted from her bridegroom. Uh, you perceive this when she says this, by night on my bed. She's not on the shared marriage bed now, is she? But she is on her bed. Right? There is a sense of separation here between her and her beloved Christ. She was not in close communion with him. She had drifted away from him. You see this in marriages where spouses no longer cohabitate, right? There is a coldness. There's been a drifting. That's what leads to the separation, and such as it is here. And sometimes, brethren, the reason we don't find close communion with the Lord Jesus Christ is because we ourselves have created that distance from him. And we ourselves are not living for him. Instead, we are resolved to live a life apart from his. We are not resolved to live for the things of God. And so we have separated ourselves from him. Uh, we don't live for what Christ is for. And we don't live for what Christ is about. And so we set and make our own bed, so to speak, away from him. We don't spend our time in prayer. We don't spend time in the Word. We don't spend our time in the exercise of godliness. We have resolved to sleep apart from Christ. And so a kind of darkness overshadows our soul as we drift away from Him and have resolved to set our residence away from His. On the other hand, right, sometimes the Lord will withdraw from us 
It's not so much even us moving away from him, but the Lord withdraws from us, right? Why? He refuses to share the bed with us, so to speak, and our soul's intimacy with him diminishes because we have no interest in him, right? Our interest is in sin, right? And we are about the things that he is not and that he is repulsed by. He is about righteousness. If, he, if we are about sin, right, he will not share our bed, so to speak. He is about the glory of God. If we are about our own glory, he will not share our bed, so to speak. He is about redeeming the time. If we are about wasting it, he will not share the bed. He is about laboring for the Lord. If we are about laboring for ourselves, he will not share our bed. He is about the advancement of the kingdom. If we don't purpose first to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, why will he share the bed with us? Why will he have intimacy with us? Right. And then so as we come to the table next week, we can make a mockery of the communion table by saying, I want to come to the table. And yet we have made our bed. We have laid ourselves far away from Christ. And so this is a week to ask ourselves, where have we laid our bed? Is it near Christ or far away from him? Uh, have we made our bed with Jesus or without And we are to resolve to move in with him, so to speak, our spouse, and reside very close to him. You know, before you come to the Lord's table and say, I wish to commune with my bridegroom, you are not, you must not come to the ordinance, right, without first resolving to walk close to him daily. Why say I want to be close to him at the table here, but I have made my bed away from him? It makes no sense. You know, in this case, any distance between him and us is our fault. Is there distance that is your fault? Put it away, beloved, and come to the table of the Lord. Seek him. You ask yourself if there is a distance, the first thing to ask always is, is it my sin, O God? Let me check my ways and repent wherever I find leaven. And so as you prepare for the supper, examine your heart for unrepentant sin, cast it away as leaven, and that will strengthen your communion with Christ before the supper so that your communion with Christ is greatly enriched at the supper. Come with a heart purged of sin by his own grace and ask for the application of his blood to cover your sins and your faults and for his grace to walk in new obedience. Seek him before the table that you may find him at the table. Uh, These things are not automatic, right? Communion with Christ is not just sort of an automatic thing. You have to labor for it in a sense spiritually by his own grace but what richness you will find at the table. The second reason that he often withdraws from us is to test us, to see if we will seek him for uh, our sufficiency and not lean on ourselves, right? Uh, When we miss him, when he causes us to miss him, right, we miss his strength, we miss his upholding power when we walk with him. And when we walk in our own strength, thinking we have this Christian life down pat, that we are making it in this world, right? My prayers are wrote. I don't really have a dependence on the Lord. I feel like I can do the things that are necessary without Christ at all, right? That uh, even a minister might feel, I can just come up here and preach without Christ, right? That I'm just a good preacher. If a man thinks that, right, he is drifting away from Christ and his dependence on Christ. We think we're making it through this world and we're satisfied by that. And that is, again, to make our bed apart from him. And so what does he do? He withdraws. He causes us to stumble in our walk and realize that we are powerless like Samson when his hair was shorn, right? 
You can think of the Apostle Paul himself pleading with Christ to take away his thorn in the flesh. Why did he know the, the Lord did this, right? Why was it that he wasn't feeling that sense of comfort with this thorn? It was to humble him and to grow his dependence on Christ's strength, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, what? My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is perfected in what? Weakness, right? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Once again, right? You see that there is a reason you're not feeling consolation. And that reason is that we are to seek the grace of Christ making it sufficient, that we would glory in our infirmities, even our thorns in the flesh, that the power of Christ may rest upon me, that I may walk very close to the Savior, and I might have a sense of His consolation, that we might be near to Him. And sometimes, right, the church does not feel the presence of Christ under severe distresses. And that's a third reason. And that's similar to our prior reasons for the Lord's presence departing, because sometimes these distresses are the result of the church's own sin. Uh, sometimes these distresses are the result of the Lord purging us of our iniquity. But we, by faith, remember that even so, uh, as we repent to the Lord, as these trials also cause us to seek the strength of God, he will always return to us nonetheless. Isaiah 54, 6 through 8. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit. Think of the bride. And a wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith thy God. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. He hides his face from the church collectively at times, but we are to seek him all the more in such trials of faith, never giving up on the Lord, but pleading for his uh, mercies, that uh, his wrath would uh, go away, and that his face, which was hidden and cloudy, would now shine upon us, and that we would have that kindness and mercy that he has promised. Lastly, there is just a sense of disconsolation, where Christ, for many reasons, will withdraw his comfort and presence from us, uh, even if we're not walking in sin. And this is what we have to realize, right? We first test our heart. And sometimes we find it isn't our own sin that has caused the Lord to withdraw, right? And maybe there isn't an external trial either. And this is often bewildering to us, as it was to Job when this sorrow enters our heart. Uh, David lamented in Psalm 30, verse 7, Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. Right? This is the trouble that comes when Christ hides his face from us. And this is, we have to be clear, a true suffering for the child of God. This is a suffering that the Christian experiences. But what you have to understand, child of God, and I must too, is that this is not arbitrary and it's not malicious on the part of our Redeemer. Right? It's actually, and you need to take this to heart, a grace. 
Uh, These times of spiritual desertion or withdrawals from Christ is a gift from the Lord to the believer. Hard as that is to believe, it truly is. You may be staggered by such a thought, but it is true because this is a suffering meant to sanctify you. It's a suffering meant to draw your affections more to Christ, that you would find your consolation entirely in Him, to draw you near to Him, that after a short while, it was but a little that I passed from them, but I found Him whom my soul loveth. I held Him and would not let Him go. You know, there is a sense that after she finds her beloved, her love for Christ is greater It has been inflamed. Her grip and her grasp on Christ is greater after he has withdrawn and when she finds him. And so this is a grace that grows our love and adoration and affection for our bridegroom, right? What is one of the things that we often speak about in relationships? It is very easy to take someone for granted, right? And the Christian is in the the habit of taking their Savior for granted, and what he does when he withdraws is, is he shows you that you need him. Such that the slightest hint of his presence and the smallest drop of grace from him becomes like a drop of water to a man suffering in a desert of heat exhaustion and heat stroke. So that the slightest hint and sight of the Savior to you becomes everything. Right? What does this withdrawal do? It weans you from the comforts of this present world, right? As you have grown very comfortable. How many of us have grown comfortable between the last communion and this time, right? Finding our comfort and consolation not in Christ, but how good we have things maybe if things are going well. And when he withdraws, he says, no, this is where true consolation is found. It's in me. Right, And I will cause such grief in your soul that you will find that with a bank account overflowing and with a, a, a wonderful family and with a great job and with the high esteem of all the things that men can give you in this world, without me, you have no consolation. And he will pull you to himself that, so that you will realize it will never be found in your sin Consolation. It'll never be found in your work. It'll never be found in your money, the world's amusements, or in women, or men, or whatever. But that consolation is only found in Christ. And as long as I find my consolation and comfort everywhere uh, to the true child of God, he will make it all as black as night with the light gone far away. And so as you come to the supper, say this to your soul and pray that to Christ... Right, that all my consolation is found in thee. Whom have I have in heaven or in earth but thee? You say, O Christ, my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, Psalm 63. Right, this is where we are meant to go with our affections. And even if you are sensing consolation from the Lord, you're still to express this this week to the Lord. You are still to compare everything that you might have in this world, even the things that give you the greatest pleasures in this world, many lawful things even, and compare them to Christ and your yearning for him. That you would find your consolation, that I wouldn't even find my uh, a total consolation, even in my wife and my children and my job, being a pastor or whatever else. I have to put those things compared to Christ, and I have to say, no, Christ is far better. And if you don't feel any consolation from the Lord, believer, remember that according to God's promise, this is a temporary thing. 
And I want to keep encouraging you in this because we can forget it. And when we are in sort of the dark night of the soul, we can often think it'll be forever. But we read, for his anger endureth for a moment, but a moment in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Psalm 30, verse 5. And if you have a testimony of the love of God in your soul, then you know these things are true. Jesus even told his disciples this as he withdrew for a time in John 16, 22. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. In both scripture and in church history, True believers have lacked consolation at times, but their joy inevitably comes in the morning when Christ, the Son of Righteousness, arises in their soul. And for your consolation, our Lord Jesus Christ, you have to think on this as we come and think on his passion at the supper. Our Lord Jesus Christ actually sympathizes with you. Did he himself, was he not himself bereft of consolation from God the Father for a time? Does he not know what it's like to actually have the shining face of God hidden from him for those hours on the cross when he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he knows what it's like to have zero comfort from God and zero comfort from the world, right? He knows that what it is to live by faith, that I will see God in the land of the living, right? That even in this dark night of the soul, as all is dark on the cross, Right, I know by faith that I will see the shining face of God. And he sympathizes with you, even as he withdraws. See, he's not cruel, beloved. But he himself never lost faith, right? As in Psalm 77, 9, Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? To the child of God afflicted in his soul, what is the answer? No. So what is the prescription to spiritual desertion? It is to seek Christ all the more fervently, right? To not sit on your bed moping as a teenage girl might, but to go to him as a mature woman, as the bride of Christ does in our text. And that takes us to our second heading, which is seeking. Well, with Christ's presence gone away, consider what the bride does in the second verse. I will rise now. And go about the city in the streets, and in the broad ways I will seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. You know, if there was a touch or hint of panic when she saw all was night without Christ, her panic here makes way to purpose, to seek him whom my soul loveth, which is what we ought to do ourselves this week, isn't it? Uh, Your purpose in seeking must be driven by a promise from the Lord. And mark this well. Isaiah 45, 19 says, I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. Right? Those who seek after the Lord will find him. Those who purpose to seek after Christ will not seek in vain, beloved. It is the temptation of the devil that says, if you seek him, he will not be found of you. Second Chronicles 15.2, if ye seek him, he will be found of you. Right? We know, of course, that Christ is the one who does the original seeking, right? He is the good shepherd who seeks out his sheep. However, beloved, those touched by the grace of God who have been converted to Christ when the good shepherd comes after them, they themselves seek hard after Christ in response. But you might ask, How do I seek my Lord when he has gone away? 
Well, the bride in our text goes out to where she may find him. She goes out to the city of God, the church. She goes to the pathways where she might find him, as you must go where Christ will be found in the streets and the broad ways. You know, she knows where to look, generally speaking, right? She isn't going here and there and everywhere just in a panic looking for uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. She knows where to look. And so as you, child of God, know or ought to know where to find him, where do you find him? You find him in the streets, right? What are those? Those are the means of grace, word, sacrament, and prayer. These are the channels. These are the pathways in which Christ will be found in his ordinances. Christ is found there. But here's the thing I want to warn you about them, beloved. Even in the Rome, uh, Reformed uh, Church, we can start to think these means are magic, right? As though they work themselves ex opere operato, as the Roman Catholics believe with their sacraments. No, what they do is they require faith. They require faith, beloved. They require us to believe that in them Christ will be found, right? And that's the part that we often neglect. We just open up our Bible. We just start reading some verses. We go to the Lord and have some rote prayers. We come to the sacrament. We just sip the, the cup and we take the bread. And then we just walk away from all of it, right? No, what we are called to do is search for our beloved in them, right? We are called to search the scriptures. For these are they that testify of me, Christ said, right? We are to search for him. The Pharisees opened the scriptures, yes, but they never looked for Christ in it. And so when you open your Bible, you are coming to seek the one that my soul loveth. We seek him in the word. We seek him in the sacrament. And when we go to him in prayer, we are seeking our beloved, O Lord Jesus Christ, open my heart to thee. And we are to believe that if we seek him in these means, he will manifest himself to us through them. That is what faith believes, and it rushes to the means of grace. And if we don't seek him, not only will we not find him likely in the means of grace, we will not enjoy our time in the means of grace either. Right? Would you really despise your devotional time if you said, now this is the time in which I am going to seek him whom my soul loveth. How often have you come to your devotional time that way? How often have you come to the worship of God that way? This is a time to seek after the one my soul loves, right? I don't suppose you would despise any of your times in the means of grace if this is how you approach them. And so you need to go where Christ is found and believe he'll be found of you. And it may take time, It may take much time in your eyes, but he will be found at the end of it all, and you are to persevere. She also knows where else to go in the city of God when her search seemed to be unfruitful. Verse 3, The watchmen that go about the city found me, to whom I said, Saw ye him whom my soul loveth. Now, as you know in the Bible, watchmen are the ministers of God. And they are charged with the oversight of Zion under Christ, the city of God, the church of God, as under shepherds of Christ himself. Ezekiel 3.17, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me, and so on. And so the, um, the bride here, the, the church, goes to the ministers and asks for help. You know, can you help me find the one that I love? 
And as you heard last week, ministers are indispensable in this matter, right? You remember how Philip asked the eunuch, eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, if he understood what? Not just Isaiah, but how Isaiah points to Christ, right? Do you understand who this is that the Bible is speaking of? What did the eunuch say? How can I except some man should guide me? Acts 8, verse 31, right? How can I be pointed as to who is in this text, except some man should guide me. And it, it is the duty of the watchman of the church, right, to point you to Christ. And so as you are seeking Christ, it is vital to come to the place where Christ's ministers, his watchmen, preach the word, so that you would be constantly pointed to him whom my soul loveth. Right? This is also, as we think of the duty of the minister, right, is to point you to the Christ who is found in the Word of God, so that you can find out of the Bible the one that your soul loves. And is this actually not why, why am I even here today, right, in this preparatory service for the Lord's Supper? Is that not my point, right? Such that this week you can be pointed to Christ and how to seek Him and how to find Him for yourself, so that you can grow closer to Christ. Are we not? as ministers of the gospel, helpers of your joy, right? That you might find your joy and hope in Christ and find communion with him. And as your minister, right, as your watchman for your soul, I point you to Christ today, that you are to come to the city of God and you are to go to faithful ministers, whoever they are, who will preach up Christ to you so that your soul may close with Christ and be close to the one that it loves. Sadly, and you have to be warned about this, in chapter 5, the bride is going to find wicked watchmen, like those in Ezekiel's time, who are not Ezekiel, those who beat her in chapter 5. The watchmen that went about the city found me. They smote me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took away my veil from me. You know, these wicked ministers, they'll never point her to Christ, but they assail her. They fleece her like the ministers in the papacy and in churches that preach not the gospel of the Lord. Never pointing the bride to Christ, right? But away from Christ and, and wounding her in the process. And so let me just say, whatever, wherever you find yourself, beloved, in this world, go seek watchmen who will preach Christ and him crucified, that you may find him. And that is what you need, and that is what I need too. And this is their charge to the ministers to send you to Christ. They are also merely friends, right? I love how the Bible treats ministers. All this imagery, of course, comes together, right? People think it's fanciful to look at the, the Song of Songs this way. It is not. These are sound hermeneutic principles, right? What are ministers called? Friends of the bridegroom, right? John the Baptist is the friend of the bridegroom. He's not the bridegroom himself, but he is the friend. And their joy is in sending you to Jesus. Paul said what? For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. Right? It is the watchman's job, the minister's job, to uh, knit you closer to Christ by God's help. Right? That is their job, friends of your bridegroom, Jesus. And so it is here that shortly after the watchmen speak to her, we read in verse 4, it was but a little that I passed from them, but I found him whom my soul loveth. You know, this is, she finds her consolation, right? Isn't this beautiful? 
She finds her consolation in the Lord. And what a beautiful picture this is, right? She didn't find her consolation in the watchman. She didn't find her consolation anywhere but in the Lord. She finds Christ, and her night has ended, and the light of Christ had arisen in her soul, for she had found him whom my soul loveth. And her perseverance, right? You think of what this was like for the the bride. Her perseverance rewarded by the Lord as he had promised her that she would not seek him in vain. That uh, this is then, even if it is the dark night of the soul, right? We have to look at the end when we're in the midst of it. And we must see that this is where we will find our joy, that he will not be sought in vain. And we will find him if we seek after him. And ye are to anticipate that I will find him whom my soul loveth. And note here, no man will get the glory for it. I love this, right? It was a little while after she left the minister's. And sometimes you have to understand this, friends. You may not even get the consolation during the preaching of the word. And it is the case that the Lord comes afterward, right? During the week, during the night. So that why? No minister may glory in his sight. But you would see it is truly the work of the Holy Spirit bringing you to Jesus. You know, I I will be always content to hear that you found Jesus, the one your soul loves, but I'm very happy that it doesn't happen necessarily during my ministrations to you immediately, that you might know that it is truly you finding Christ by the Holy Spirit. So what else can I say to these things for your preparation as you consider these things? Put away all that hinders you from Christ. Put away your sin, especially put away your spiritual uh, lethargy, right? Arouse yourself from your spiritual slumber, right? Don't mope around on the bed, Go and run, run after him. Go and find him, beloved. Is he not worth finding? Is it not an incredible and extraordinary thing in your soul when you find him, beloved? So go and find him this week more earnestly than you have ever before. With faith in the promise, you will not seek me in vain. How dare we ever think, right, that time with the Lord is wasted time. The time pursuing the Lord is time that was poorly spent. Absolutely not. You seek him, you will find him. And so go use the means of grace fervently, but use them to find him. O Lord, reveal thyself. Right? And even if consolation does not come, no matter, it will come, beloved, if you are his. You need to believe that. And you need to come to the supper, even if you do not find consolation yet, if you are seeking after him. If you have no interest in seeking him, surely stay away from the table. You know, don't make a mockery of these things. But if you are seeking him and you still don't feel consolation, come. This is how you seek him fervently. And who knows what the Lord will do at the table. And you may very well find your soul filled with consolation. And that has happened to so many believers who have come to the table. Maybe it'll come shortly afterward as it did for the bride. But faith says, I will come and I will come to Jesus. Well, with time going away quick, let's consider our final heading, which is holding. And we'll essentially conclude with this. In verse 4, After the bride finds him, she said, and isn't this remarkable and glorious and should be our heart, I held him and would not let him go. Here is really the end of the grace of spiritual desertion, isn't it? And why it is a grace. Because when you find him, you say in your soul, 
I will never let him go. I have found the one my soul loves, and how could I ever let him go? The distance has been uh, so hard on me, and now that I have found him, I will not let this Jesus leave, right? And this is how you see Christ's aim in it, right? As he withdraws so that you would press further to him, right? And we are not content to let him go. As Jacob did in Genesis 32, 26, and he, meaning the Lord said, let me go for the day breaketh. I think that's just so wonderful with the imagery of the night passing away for the, the bride here. Let me go for the day breaketh. The Lord says the night is over. Let me go. But that was a test, wasn't it, for Jacob? Remember Jacob's response? And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Right? It's the same thing here for the bride. And the thing that you have to understand is Christ loves this frame of mind when he tests you. And he says, no, why don't you let me go? And you say, I will not let you go, Jesus. And maybe there is a temptation that comes across your way. You know, the world or amusement or entertainment. And what a thing it is to say, I'll put that all away. And I will not let you go, Christ. I have found you, the one that my soul loveth. I will be with you. Bless me, O Lord, and give me thy comfort. And you know, when the bride held him, the word held here is very weak in the English translation. It signifies almost like a death grip, a tight grip or grasp, right? She presses closer and closer to him. She doesn't want him to move one iota away from him, one inch from him. And she, then you see this, she is more fervent in her use of the means of grace. I will seek Christ. I will press into Christ. I will walk closer with him, right? And so away goes sin. And now she walks in righteousness. She will do good works that her husband had prepared for her to walk in with him, right? She will worship him more fervently. She will come to every service to find him wherever it is and wherever it is, whatever or wherever it is that Christ will be found. She is there holding on to him. She won't let him go. And she says, until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. Now, what is our mother's house, beloved? Where are we conceived? Where are we born again? It is the church, isn't it? Right? Psalm 87.4 says, those of every nation regarding the church, this one was born there. This one was born there. Galatians 4.26, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. And I think this is so wonderful. She brings her Lord into the church, right? You find him before the service next week and you tell him, pleading with him, Lord, come with me. Come meet us at the table. Come to all of us. Come meet all my brothers and sisters in our mother's home. Come, Lord, and meet us. And that's what you see in verse 5. As she has found the one that her soul loveth, she charges her brethren in the church. Verse 5, I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love till he please. Now that I have found him, now that he is back with me, she is saying to the rest of the church, don't send him away. Don't send him away. Don't provoke him with your sin. Right? There is a corporate dimension to communion, isn't there, beloved? We want the entire body, this is why I'm preaching to you, right, to be well prepared to come to the gospel feast. You read in Corinth, right, how Paul said they were not celebrating the supper because of their sin. We want the entire body to be well prepared that Jesus would come and meet us together. 
And that's why we come to as many meetings as we can before the supper, preparatory meetings, prayer meetings, and so on, that we would be prepared, that we would also spend time resolving any difficulties with brethren, that we would turn away any sin that we have in our heart, right? And in any case, right, this week, what you need to do is you need to pray for your brethren, that they would seek the Lord, right? That you would pray that not just yourself, but all of us would prepare, that none here would provoke the Lord to withdraw from us so that the congregation as a whole and not just you individually will find Christ's blessing. For a little bit of leaven leavens how much of the lump, child of God? The whole lump. All right, there's a corporate dimension of sin, Galatians 5.9. And so, brethren, use this week to seek after the Lord Jesus. And if you, he feels far from you, seek him and he will be found of you. What you must never do, though, is to have your distress turned to despair. You will not seek him in vain. The sun of righteousness will arise in your soul and banish the night, and the light of the world will bring his warmth and his consolation to you. And if you do enjoy a consolation of the Lord, as some of you undoubtedly do today, resolve to hold fast to him and never let him go by his grace, saying with great joy, my beloved is mine and I am his and pray that he would come with you to the table of the Lord. Amen. Let us arise and attend to prayer. O our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, Father, that he would truly be the very center of our affections. And we know and admit, Father, that so often he is not. And we have found our consolation in other things in this world. And so, Father, help us to find this week our consolation entirely in Jesus. That when we come to the communion table and we see the broken bread, the bread broken before us and the wine poured into the chalice, that we would be astonished, Father, that this is the love of God shown to us, broken in the Savior, a broken Savior that loved us, a Savior poured out for us, and that we would seek after him, Father, that we would find all of our consolation in him alone. O Lord, if there is darkness settling in over the people of God, first, if they are unaware of it, arouse them from their slumber. Uh, Awaken them to see Christ far away that they would seek after him. If there are any here who through no fault of their own, uh, but Christ has withdrawn to give them the spiritual grace of desertion for a time, would you cause them, O Father, to seek hard after Christ, knowing that he delights when they come to him, they hold fast to him and say, I will not let you go. O Lord, would you work such things in our hearts that we would come with faith and love and hope in the Savior at the supper of the Lord. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.